0: All right. Again, we're looking at Exodus 20 verse 16 and then Ephesians 4:15. So let's give our attention to God's word. It says, "You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." And then again, Ephesians 4:15 says, "Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head," into Christ. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, and the Bible says that mankind, that you and I are like the grass that withers and the flower that fades away, but the word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we dive in further tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would be so kind to speak to us, that you would reveal yourself and So, Father, we take just a few minutes to ask that since you're the author of these words, that you would also be their teacher, that by your Holy Spirit you would be here, that you would actually be with us tonight, and that you would work so that your word would go out, and it would soften our hearts, and it would change us. And we ask that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, I have a uh, have a friend in Oxford who lives in Oxford, Mississippi, and he is, he's actually about uh, my parents' age, but um, years and years ago, sort of a, you know, almost sort of previous life, he was a, a certified polygraph examiner. I don't know what the official word is for the people that give the lie detector tests, right? That's what he did for a living for a while. And He told me some pretty crazy stories about uh, the years that he did that. It's pretty fascinating to listen to. Um, And you probably know already how the uh, polygraph, or again, the lie detector test works. Uh, But it's pretty fascinating, right? It works by measuring, let's see, your blood pressure, your heart rate, your respiratory rate, and essentially how sweaty your hands get while you're being asked and while you answer uh, certain questions, And the reason that it measures those things, heart rate, breathing rate, sweaty hands, is because when when you don't tell the truth, those things are elevated, right? When you lie, your heart starts to beat faster, you breathe a little bit faster, your hands get sweaty, and now... I want you to think about that for a second. That's pretty amazing if you think about it. That your body, how do I say this? Your body reacts negatively to lying. In other words, I think we could say it this way that you and I were built to tell the truth. And when we don't tell the truth, in a sense, your body betrays itself. It's pretty interesting. We're designed by God to tell the truth. And so, as you know, if you've been with us, that we're studying through the Ten Commandments this semester. And we've come now to the Ninth Commandment. And every week we say that the, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, serve uh, sort, of like, sort of like a mirror and like a window, right? As we look into the law of God, it, it serves sort of like a mirror into which we can look, and we, we're able to see what we really look like as we measure ourselves against it. And tonight I think you're going to see that we tend to be a people that, that pervert the truth. But the law of God also at the very same time acts like a window through which we can look and see the character of God. And so tonight as we do that, I think at the same time as we see bad news about us, you'll see that we have a God who upholds the truth, who loves the truth. And in fact, loves it so much that he protects it with this commandment. And a God that's gracious, uh, even to those that pervert the truth. And so tonight, I want to look at that in three, I want to look at three things. We're going to look at the perversion of the truth. Secondly, we'll see the propagation of truth. And then thirdly, we'll see the provision of truth. They all start with P. I thought that was cool. All right, so first, the perversion of truth. And just to be clear, this is sort of a two-parter. Um, sneak an extra point in there. But first, first, what I want to do is look at how we pervert the truth or how we lie. And then the second part of this will be why we do it. So first, how do we lie? What does it look like? And first, I think we need to say what it means to lie. You know, in a sense, define it. Because the commandment here says that we should not bear false witness. In right? the, the picture, what it's talking about specifically is the, that of a courtroom, right, where, where someone would be under oath to testify uh, to certain things, that they would swear, of course, that what they're saying is, is absolutely true. And so it obviously, this commandment obviously prohibits things like um, giving false testimony in a courtroom, I think that's pretty clear, uh, falsifying a legal document breaking a contract, things like that, right? Things that you would say, I swear, I'm I'm giving sworn testimony here. But it certainly doesn't stop there, right? If you've been with us, if you've ever studied through the commandments, you know how it goes, right? The commandments go all the way, they go much deeper than they might seem to at first. And they end up going all the way to our hearts. And we read uh, in Matthew, which we've seen with several commandments, Jesus, when he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount... Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, he expounds the law. He talks about what the law of God really means. And when he talks about, uh, when he talks about our words and telling the truth, uh, let's see, it's Matthew five thirty three and through 37 if you're a note taker. And he basically says that, that we should act in such a way, we should talk in such a way as if every word we ever say is under oath. That we shouldn't just be sort of obligated to tell the truth when we say, I promise or I swear, but that we should always operate as if we've sworn to the truth of what we're saying. So it's clearly not just a courtroom setting, but it's every time we open our mouths, right? All right, so Luther, Martin Luther says that there are essentially three kinds of lies. And I like his uh, three divisions here, and so we'll, we'll kind of borrow his. I think it's helpful. He he basically says first, well, the three are are humorous lies, that there are helpful lies, and then harmful lies. Okay, humorous lies are basically when you're not um, when you're not pretending to tell the truth. When it's obvious that you're not dealing in the realm of truth, right? To to tell a joke, something like that. Um, it's basically a recognition that there's a time and a place. To have something come out of your mouth that's not literally true, right? Um, I, I think we all get that. I saw, you know, give you an example. Some time ago there was a, uh, a meteor, not a comet, meteor, right, that uh, was on the East Coast and lots of people were taking pictures of it. And I saw on Facebook that, you know, somebody put here, I, I caught this great picture of it and you click on it and it was a picture of Super Grover, you know, streaking through the sky, Right? He's clearly not trying to represent the literal truth. He's just being funny. Although it you know, wasn't that funny, but you get the idea, right? It's the whole, like, a horse walks into a bar, right? Horse didn't really walk into a bar, but it's just for fun. I think we get that. So they're humorous lies. But second, he says that they're helpful lies. And now this is where some, some really interesting debate comes in that we don't have time to get to. That that's why we have community groups. You can hash it out. But is there such a thing as a helpful lie where it's okay, where you're, where you're intending, your intent is not humorous, but where it's okay to, to pervert the truth and it actually not be sinful? Like, What about if you lived in Germany in the 1940s and you were hiding uh, Jews in your house and the SS comes and knocks on your door and asks if there are any Jews there? And you know that if you, if you tell the truth, which is yes, they will die. What do you do? You tell the truth? Well, there are, there are two texts in Scripture that I think are fairly helpful in this regard, and again, we can't, we can't dive into this as, as interesting as it is, but I'll give them to you real quick. Exodus one about the uh, the Hebrew or the uh, Egyptian midwives. You can go read that on your own. and then Joshua chapter two. Right? You might be more familiar with that one. That's where Rahab hides the spies that go into, uh, into Jericho, right? So she hides these spies that are God's people, and the, the, uh, the government basically comes to her and says, oh, you know, we know that you hid the spies, uh, let's, where are they? And they're still hiding, and she says, they went that way, right? You can still catch them. And she just straight up lies to them. And the Bible actually seems to commend her for that. Even in the New Testament, twice it shows up, and she seems to be commended, Right? And so it seems, and look, there's a lot of debate here, but it seems like the scripture's that Scripture is indicating that to pervert the truth, so to speak, to save a life, to protect the life of your neighbor, that that's the compassionate thing to do, okay? But look, here's the deal. <laughs> that is really rare, Right? And so you have to be—we have to be very careful with that kind of thinking, because our minds are going to want to grab hold of that and say, like, okay, all right, I get that premise. That's kind of cool. That seems like a little loophole, right? Then, all right, if I'm looking out for my neighbor, then then maybe I can pervert the truth. Um, and so that begin—we we could begin down the slippery slope of things like uh, when you get the question of, like, do you think that this dress is ugly, right? And you want to say, no, absolutely not. I think it's lovely, right? Um, you know, or do you think I'm annoying? Um, absolutely not, right? Something like that where we might think, well, that, that's a helpful lie. And look, again, you have to see that's not protect, that's not, um, their lives are not in danger, right? So the third category that Luther talks about is that of the harmful lie, which is to say everything else. Right? Sure, you have humor. Sure, you have those exceedingly rare circumstances where it's okay. And then there's every other way that we pervert the truth. So what does that look like? Well, it might look like when you tell your boss at work, or maybe your teacher, that they ask, if, if uh, have you finished what I asked you to do? And you say, uh, yeah, yeah, I finished that. And then you hurry off and go finish it, because you didn't. You change the truth. Um... Or maybe when you're telling a story about yourself, something that happened, and you, you add a little bit of detail that didn't actually happen, but it makes you look a little better. You, you tweak the truth just a little bit. Or maybe when you say, <laughs> I don't know why I wrote this one down, but no, I have no idea why you pulled me over, officer. Um, I bet you do. Um, Or maybe when somebody asks you to do something that you you don't want to do, and you might say something like, oh, I wish I could, lie number one, and then comes lie number two, but actually I have to whatever, right? Or maybe it's when when we lie to ourselves, when we pervert the truth just in our own minds, right? I'm not that bad, or I can stop whenever I want to. It's not that big a deal. Or maybe, maybe we pervert the truth when we try to get other people to think that we're uh, holier than we really are. We'll flesh that out in just a second. All right, so I think you get it, right? What it looks like to pervert the truth. So the second part of this is why do we do that? Why would we do that? What's at the root of our deceitfulness? Why do we so often not tell the truth? And look, on one level, the answer is pretty obvious, right? The reason that we don't tell the truth and that we lie is because we want to avoid the consequences of what telling the truth will bring. I think that's pretty obvious, right? We lie to avoid some sort of discomfort or awkwardness or pain. We don't want to deal with losing out on something or being perceived in a negative light or something like that, so we lie. But there's, there's got to be another level to that, Right? And that may not be so obvious. So what is it, right? Of course we lie to avoid some sort of discomfort. But what's really behind that, what's really going on in our hearts, is that we don't trust God with real reality. And in a lot of ways, this tracks what we talked about last week. But fundamentally what's going on is that we don't trust God with reality. right? We don't trust that God's going to be good to us in real reality, right, that, that the way things really are, we can't let things be the way they really are, because God's not going to take care of us, and so we're going to take care of it ourselves. We're going to try to manufacture the truth, tweak the truth, manipulate, manipulate reality, really, so that reality will work for us. All right, so think for a second about what that means. Think about how radically selfish that is. That really what we're doing when we pervert the truth is we are manipulating reality. And we're really doing that. We're manipulating other people's understanding of reality. It's incredibly selfish, because it's just for our own benefit. Um, yeah, and so when we lie, we, we, dehumanize, we dehumanize ourselves, and we rob other people of reality, right? Uh, what, what might that look like? It might look like if you want to be, be on the inside of some sort of group of people, whatever it is, fraternity or sorority, um, uh, maybe it's RUF, maybe it's a friend group that you want to be a part of, whatever. And you begin to tweak the way that they perceive you, right? In whatever you know, form or fashion that that might look like. You're basically trying to alter their reality so that they'll think better of you, or maybe it might look like this, right? You have a friend, let's say, that has some sort of significant personality trait um, or habit that can be pretty offensive, and uh, like let's let's say that they're um, they can be pretty biting, right? Pretty uh, pretty vicious, maybe with their humor. And they can really zing people. And sometimes it's not that, uh, you know, it's often inappropriate. And one day they come up to you and they say, okay, so, so so-and-so, you know, another friend of yours just launched into me. And, uh, you know, they said that I really need to think about my sarcasm or my whatever um, because I can really hurt people with that. And they just launched into me about that. And, you know, can you believe that? I mean, do you think that I have a problem with that? Right? And the tendency would be to say, like, no, no, not at all. I, I think She just can't take a joke. That's her problem, right? And so you get, you get it, right? The whole idea is I want to avoid that awkwardness. I don't want to have to deal with... Like, that's going to be hard to say, like, yeah, actually, it's something you need to think, you know, and walk through that. It's just easier to say, like, no, no, no problem. But what you're doing is manipulating that person's reality. You're attempting to. Or maybe the friend that comes to you and says... That spends way too much time with their boyfriend or girlfriend. And they say, I mean, do you think that we spend too much time together? You say, no, no, not at all. You know, I think everybody else is just jealous, right? And so at the bottom of all that, it's really just the fact that we don't trust God. We don't trust God to live in real reality. And so we try to create it ourselves. All right. So we see the perversion of the truth. Secondly, the propagation of truth. So we're certainly commanded not to lie, not to misrepresent the truth. We're commanded not to alter reality. But the passage that we read in Ephesians actually says, in a sense, the opposite, right? That we're called to, to propagate the truth. We're, we're called to uphold the truth. Not just not lie, right? And it says that we're, we're called to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth in love to others. So let's take just a minute or two to look at, you know, what might that look like? Um, you know, it would look like, in that very scenario that we just talked about, it would look like, if we're going to speak the truth in love, not only would it look like not lying to the person and not saying like, no, no, I think you're fine, that person just can't take a joke, like you said, but it really actually might look like being willing to love that person enough to walk through that with them. To say, well, actually, you know, maybe they didn't come to you and, you know, I, I can understand you'd be upset with the way they brought that to you, but, but I actually love you enough to say, you know, sometimes, sometimes, yeah, I think you do hurt people. And, and, and to go, to be able to walk through it with them, right? Not just drop, it'd be easy to drop the one-time bomb on them and say like, yeah. I've been wanting to tell you that for years and the only reason I had is because I'm afraid you'd go off on me, right? And just let that be it. That's truthful, but it's not the truth in love, right? So you could picture what it would look like to, to be kind to them, to give them reality. Um, to propagate the truth, another way that it might look, it, it means that we need to be honest about ourselves and our sin. It means that you and I can quit sort of the PR campaign that we're all on, right? To to get the world to think that we're we're actually fairly together, and that we're uh, you know we we got our ducks in a row. That if we're going to propagate the truth, that it, that it actually would look like admitting that that we're messed up, and we're going to talk about that more in a minute. It means that we would tell the truth all the time, even when it hurts us even when the truth might mean uh, that we lose out on money or we might lose some face over the truth. And the fourth way, I think, or, you know, I wrote down four. One of the ways I think that we propagate the truth, and it's going to lead to our last point, is that we, I think we're called, or I know we're called, to propagate the truth of the gospel, all right, what does it look like to ultimately spread truth? What's well, going to look like spreading God's truth, the good news? And that's actually the only thing that's going to change our desire to live in God's reality and not our own. So what is that reality? And that's our third point we're going to finish with. The provision of the truth. So we've, we, we've looked at the, the uh, perversion of the truth, right? What it looks like for us to lie, why we do it. We've talked about what we're actually called to do to propagate the truth. Now we're going to look at the, the provision, the, the truth that's provided for us. And, and that reality is the fact that Jesus, that, that God became incarnate, that God became man in Jesus Christ. And when he came to earth, he was a man and is a man. And at the same time, he is the embodiment of truth itself. You remember uh, John, what, fourteen six? he says that Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Earlier in John, John 1, 17, it says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the truth that's provided for us. And that's going to track along two lines that I want to give to you. So one is that Jesus has come to tell us the truth. Because like we've said all along, we tend not to traffic in the truth, right? We tend to want to warp and shape reality, and here's what we, we tend to believe a lie. And here's the fundamental lie about ourselves and about God. We tend to fundamentally believe this about ourselves. I'm not that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got problems. You know, there's some things, right? But I can fix it. I'm not really that bad. I'm better than a lot of people. It's not that big a deal. That's what we, that's what we tend to think is the truth about ourselves. And about God, we tend to think... He's not really that good. Yeah, he's good. There's some goodness there. But you can't really trust him. You've got to watch. you, you got to keep one eye on that guy. He's not that good. And so Jesus comes along. And he essentially said, he he tells us the truth. And the truth is this. Basically, the lie that we believe about ourselves, he basically says, look, no, no, no. You are that bad. In fact, you're a lot worse than you realize. It's as bad as you fear in your worst moments, and then a lot more. But God really is that good. And in fact, He's a whole lot better than you've ever thought you could imagine. So He's come to tell us the truth. And that's one sort of track of Jesus embodying the truth. But there's another. And not only has Jesus come to just tell us the truth, right, which is wonderfully gracious, but he's also come to show us the truth of God and actually to be the truth in our place. He hasn't just come to tell us about it, but he's come to show us the truth. Right, his, his very life and death, show us that it really is true that God is that good because of what he came to do. Right, Think about this. Jesus was the only person in the history of the world that, number one, has never lied. And not only has he never lied, he always told the truth. And not just always told the truth, but he always told the truth in love. Jesus was perfectly honest. He never distorted reality with anybody. He always upheld the truth isaiah fifty three nine obviously looking forward to the messiah says of who we know to be Jesus, says that no deceit was found, was found in his mouth. But what happens to Jesus mark fourteen uh, in particular, I think in some ways, tells us that Jesus, the only man that's ever been perfect in his uh, upholding the truth, he was the victim of all kinds of deceitfulness. Right? In 1445 in Mark, Judas comes comes up to Jesus to identify him for arrest, right? You know, I'll show you who he is. And he comes up and what does he do? He kisses him. Right? What a lie. And what does he say to him? He says, rabbi, teacher. What a lie. It's not his teacher. He's not learning from him. He's a liar. And Jesus bears it. And then uh, as you read throughout 14 and 55 through 61, they basically, they basically put on this just terrible sham of a trial and they get people to come and lie about Jesus. And the lies are so bad that the lies don't even fit. Right? Right? They they can't even get people to get on the same page about their lies. They're so bad. And Jesus doesn't say a word about it. They bear false witness against the only perfectly truthful person ever, and he doesn't say a word. Why? Why does he just take it? Why does he bear the deceitfulness? Because he's going to the cross, and he's going to bear, not only is he going to take being lied against, But he's going to actually take the lying and the deceitfulness of his people, of you and me, he's going to take that on on himself. And he's going to bear God's wrath for that in your place. And not not only is he going to bear our wrath for the lies that we tell and the way we distort the truth, but he's going to actually give us All of his truth telling and credit it to us. Right? Everything about Jesus' life says is pointing to the truth that God really is that good. It's like he says, Look, God really is that good. Trust me, I'm telling you the truth. Now I'm going to show you. He's so good that He that that He, that I would show up and I'll do it for you. So that you can get this for free. Even though you're a liar. So what that means is that you and I can actually face and live in real reality. Right? Because it means that you and I can look at ourselves and say, okay, it really is true. I really am a sinner. I really have made a wreck of my life and my heart. I really am screwed up. Because... Jesus has made a way for us to be that honest and yet still live. And I want to end with this illustration that actually comes from the Bible. Matthew 15:21 through28. Right, this is a great story. So it, it's also in Mark, but basically it's the story of a, of a Gentile woman, right? Someone that, she was not a Jew. Gentile woman who has a daughter that's oppressed by a demon and she comes to the disciples and she wants Jesus to heal her daughter. And so she comes and she's just begging the disciples and so the disciples basically say, like, just send her away. Like, get her, get her out of here. And so she, she talks to Jesus and she pleads with him to heal her daughter. Okay? And Jesus, no kidding, go home if you don't know the story and look it up. Jesus says this. Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus, please heal my daughter. And he says, actually, I was only sent to the the lost sheep of Israel. And that's not you, right? And so she begs more and Jesus, uh, Jesus says this, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now think about that. Think about if you're asking for something from this guy. And you say, Jesus, please. And he says, yeah, I'm not, is it right for me to take what should be the children's and throw it to a dog like you? I mean, what? It, it's basically like he would have said, I mean, do you think I should do this for, do you think I should heal some trash like you? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think it'd be too surprising if if, if it were you or even this woman, if you're asking and say, would you please do this? and say, I, You know, I'm not so sure that should I heal trash like you that you say, you know what? Forget it, right? But do you know what this woman does? This woman says, this is her response. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You hear what she says, right? He calls her a dog and she says, yeah. But please, even dogs get a little bit. And here's Jesus' response oh woman, great is your faith. And he heals her daughter. Right? He looks at this woman, this woman gets it. This woman lives in real reality, in God's reality. She can look at herself when Jesus says, you're, you're a dog. She says, I know. She doesn't dodge reality, she lives in it. And she, on some level, knows that I can live in that reality that's actually a safe place to be because he's good. I'll live in whatever reality this guy wants, is, whatever he says is true because he's good enough to trust. And the same is true for me and you, right? That we can actually be that honest about ourselves. That we can look and say, all right, as bad as my natural state really is, we can be honest about it because he offers us a reality of love and grace to those that can come and admit it. And the more that you and I are enabled to deal with real reality, right, with Jesus' reality, the more and more we'll be able to trust him to live in his reality. The more and more we'll be able to trust him with the realities of what people think about us. Or the consequences that might come from living in that reality. And we won't feel quite so desperate to try to shape it for ourselves. Because we can trust Him. So do you know, do you know this God of truth? Because He offers Himself to you tonight. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are, You are the truth. You are our true word. And I pray that we would That we would live in your reality. Forgive us for the ways that we try to shape it and manufacture it ourselves and for other people. But Jesus, would we be bold enough, would you make us bold enough and humble enough to live in the reality of our sin and yet the reality of your grace and mercy to us? We ask it in your name. Amen.